0: Seat. Uh, This is the last Sunday of our series called Hot Topics. And to be quite frank, I mean, we had a question come in about what we're looking at today, but it's not very, I mean, it's not hot in that way. It's not something that people, you know, argue about on Facebook or anything like that, but I think it's immensely valuable. Um, You can see in your bulletin on page, well, on page 11, uh, the title of the sermon is, When the Darkness Does Not Lift. What we're going to be talking about this morning is really spiritual depression. What do you do when God seems distant? So, We'll be looking at First John 3 verses 19 through 24. If you're willing and able, please stand, we'll read God's word. First John 3:19 through 24. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It was, I believe it was 2006… And I was in the process, I was in seminary at the time, and I was in the process of trying to find a church to do my internship. If you're not familiar with the PCA, our denomination, it actually takes a lot to be an ordained pastor. I mean, you've got to go to seminary, you've got to have Greek and Hebrew, you have to do an internship of at least a year where you do all sorts of things, um, you have to stand on your head for, you know, 10 minutes at a time, and all sorts of crazy things. Well, it was in the process of trying to find a church for my internship um, that I contracted Lyme disease, and no one really knew what was going on with me. If you've had Lyme disease, you know, it can be a pretty terrible thing. And, you know, just parts of me were just not working right. I had, I don't know, lost a bit of weight, which under normal circumstances is wonderful, right? If you lose weight because of a disease, that's bad. Um, I'd had... Um, you know, just numbness, facial numbness and joint pain, all sorts of different things. I couldn't concentrate, and it was really scary, um, It's especially scary when, a, you know, when a neurologist tells you, well, it's just all in your head. That's problematic. So I went to this church, and I was just in a, in a really scared place. And the church, I went and I worshiped, and the church had a lunch afterwards, which when you're in seminary, it's functionally like being a college student. When someone gives you food, you take it. So, I went to, to the lunch afterwards, and one of the leaders in the church um, introduced himself, and I said, hi, you know, I'm Scott Mitchell. And he goes, how are you doing, Scott? And... I guess my my social balance was off a little bit at that point because I said, honestly, this has been one of the worst weeks of my life. And he goes, okay. And he turned and walked away. (laughs) That that hurt. Um, You know... What it, what it says to me, like, that's a, that's a you know, a, kind of a, a pretty clear and specific picture of something that we all have, let's say maybe on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Like, everything's not okay. One of the things that really irritated me about the church when I was, when I was younger is that church, a lot of times in the Bible Belt, You come in, everyone kind of puts on the happy face, and they act like they've got it all together. When on the inside, that's just absolutely not true. Some of us are in a place where we are happy and things aren't breaking down all around us. But a lot of us come in to worship and something is going on. And it's kind of hard for some of us to put on the happy face. So we come late so we don't have to talk to anyone and we leave immediately so we don't have to talk to anyone so we don't have to put on the happy face. And sometimes what's going on is just, we come to worship, we see people who seem intimate with God and He is, He just seems so distant to us. He just seems really distant to us. what we're looking at today is what do we do when the darkness does not lift? When it seems that you're under the cloud. Or it seems, notice the word seems, it seems like his face is frowning upon us. Uh, When we're in a type of, what the Puritans may call, spiritual depression. Okay? So what do I do when God seems distant? What do I do when I'm in a spiritual funk? What do I do when I notice that I don't really want to pray, or notice that I really don't want to worship, that there is kind of a distance there. Well, I think some of this has something to do with our understanding of what the normal Christian life looks like, and kind of understanding behind it, what we might call spiritual depression. Part of this is expectations, Right? For those of you who have been married for very long, you know that expectations play a giant role in your marriage. Expectations met, expectations not met. But we have expectations spiritually kind of coming into it. Some of us come in to the Christian life and expect kind of rainbows and lollipops. We expect the happy church face. We come to church, everyone's happy. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. And you think, everyone around me loves Jesus and everyone's doing great. What's wrong with me? Right? What's wrong with me? Well, if you expect the Christian life to kind of be good, then all the time, which the Bible doesn't say that at all, then you're going to be one of two things. You're either going to pretend that everything's normal when it's not. I mean, like everything is all together when inside you're just falling apart, or you're actually going to try to convince yourself that everything is okay when it's not. So there's a, maybe a, a type of self-deception here. But you know, there's not, there's not a saint in the Bible or in history who hasn't dealt with long periods in which God seemed to be distant. Abraham I mean, he he went for more than a decade without ever hearing from God. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, the Apostle Paul prayed three times that the Lord would remove the thorn in his side. No answer to that one. Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon. So 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. London, Baptist preacher, And he, in in his own writings, he would talk about how prone to melancholy he was and how distant God seemed. And then, how do I stand at a pulpit and preach to thousands of people when God throughout the week has seemed so distant? This is a common thing in the most godly people we can think of over the past 4,000 years. And I would think... And I think the Scripture says that that's normal, that what these people experience and what you experience maybe behind the friendly mask is actually normal, and it kind of means what it means to be a normal Christian. You know, in our faith, we have cycles of faith and repentance, right? Sin or idols kind of creep in because our hearts are idol factories. We repent, and we turn back to Jesus in faith, and then we're we slide back into it, and we repent, and we turn back to Jesus in faith. We've got cycles of suffering and rejoicing, cycles of intimacy with God and a perceived distance with Him. You see, the problem comes when we, we begin to expect that mountaintop experiences with God are supposed to be the norm. The disciples were with Jesus in his public ministry about three years, and they were on the mountaintop, literally, actually, at the mount, the at the transfiguration, where they saw Jesus glorified, and that lasted about five minutes. So I did the math, because I used to be an engineer, and I like spreadsheets. So I did the math. If the transfiguration lasted about five minutes, and that might be a little long, actually, but if it lasted about five minutes, that's 00000003 percent of the time that they had with Jesus. Which means, let's say you live 80 years. That's only two hours and 15 minutes of mountaintop experience with God. Two hours and 15 minutes. That's not, that's not a lot, right? But say you grew up going to Christian camps, and you guys who have done that, you know, kind of the camp high, or you have a great worship experience because, you know, it's it's just an amazing time, or God's doing something in your life, and you expect that to carry kind of through the mundaneness of life, I fear that we will just be disappointed. Look at the text. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Okay, literally, in the Greek, it says, if our heart condemns us. But, one of the great things, I was thanking God for Greek yesterday. In the Greek, this is actually what's called a third-class conditional clause, which means we should kind of read the sentence like this. If our heart condemns us, and it definitely will, then God is greater than our heart. It assumes the, the truth of it. If our heart condemns us, and it will, then God is greater than our heart. The New Testament assumes that all Christians will go through seasons of spiritual depression, a feeling far from God. It assumes it. If you've been in a spiritual funk or even as you reflect maybe kind of on the past of that, when God seems distant, please realize this is the norm. This is what the New Testament expects to happen. So, let's talk about this then. Let's talk about this actual, what we feel, this perceived distance from God and a condemning heart. Look down at the text again. Well, will start in verse 19. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, and it, and it will, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Look at this. There, there are three different actors, we could say, in this courtroom drama. Okay? The accused is us, and the accuser is our heart. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than the heart. So, the judge is God. The three actors in this, our own hearts are doing this to condemn us. Why would our hearts condemn us? Isn't that strange that the Scripture would say whenever our hearts condemn us? I want you to notice the first thing here. The Word is not convict, but Condemn. The word does not convict, condemn. Many times you and I are engaged in various forms of sin of idolatry and the Spirit works in us for our hearts to convict us of that sin, right? That we say, oh yes, this is sin and I do need to turn from this or this is a pattern of sin and I do need to turn for this. But that's not what's going on here. The word is condemn. The word is condemn, kataginosko. In other words, what it's saying is it's not merely, you've done bad, but you are bad. Whenever our heart says, you are bad, why would it do that? You and I, I believe, are keenly aware of how bad we are. You know, Christians are the most, some of the most self-aware people on the planet. We know our shortcomings. That's why we embrace Jesus. We know how low we can go. And sometimes our heart condemns us because we take a look at ourselves and our sin ten times, only look at Jesus once. Like our eyes are kind of inward focused. We see our shortcomings. And this sometimes doesn't have anything to do with sin either. It's just natural shortcomings. I should have gotten the house cleaned. Or I should have done this at work. Or I shouldn't have responded to this person in this way. Or I shouldn't have yelled at the person in the other car who just cut me off. Even though they're a bad driver, I shouldn't have done that. You know, our heart can condemn us for all sorts of different things. It acts in many ways like Satan does in the Old Testament. He's called the accuser. Satan in Hebrew means the accuser. And our hearts, oftentimes, that's just kind of what they do. They're in this mode to rattle out accusations and condemnations about how bad we are. And man, that puts you in a low spot. I mean, that's an easy spiritual funk, a spiritual depression from that. So then we're talking about our heart's condemning us. It's not just I've done bad, but I am bad. And if we only look at Jesus once, every ten looks at us, you know, that's, that's the inverse of what it should be. For everyone to look at ourselves, we ought to be looking at Jesus ten times. So that our thoughts aren't kind of filled with the condemnation of our heart upon ourselves, but looking at Jesus who has nailed my bad to the cross past tense, and we don't bear that anymore, that He's nailed that actually to the cross. So, the perceived distance from God, and I say perceived because all throughout Scripture, we're told He is with us, right? He is with us. Why does that come about, though? You ever ask yourself, like, why am I in this place, spiritually speaking, why does it seem that he is so distant to me? Well, there's lots of, lots of possibilities for this. And none of those is because he doesn't love you. You know, maybe you were put in this particular situation so that you're able then to minister to others out of having, to, having that experience, right? Or maybe you were given kind of this spiritual depression to long for heaven more to long for a day when that won't be the case. Or maybe you were given that because you, like everyone else, are fallen. Our minds don't work right. Our bodies don't work right. This world doesn't work the way that it was intended because we're all under a curse. Because Adam and Eve sinned and fell, and now we get the remains of it. And so we're all kind of broken And we're tending toward all of these broken things. So our heart is constantly, if you want to say, working against us. And we need to have ears to hear the gospel preached to us. And let's take a page from Martin Luther, to be able to preach the gospel to ourselves. To counteract the condemning heart. So how do we even begin to think about getting out of this? How do we begin to think about getting out of, let's say, the spiritual depression? You know, to begin to answer that, we have to acknowledge the reality of a present God. The reality of a present God. One of the significant themes in Scripture is we we walk by faith and not by sight. We follow Jesus by faith. We believe in Him and we trust in Him. What this means is Practically speaking, what's important is not the quantity of our faith, but the object of our faith. Right? So, I want, to, I want to paint you this scenario with two little girls. Two little girls live in the north, and they're very excited because winter <clears throat> is upon them, and they're both very excited to go out onto the pond to ice skate, which is something that happens. So, they're very, very excited. It's a very cold day. The water's frozen over. And one little girl goes out to her pond, and she puts on her her skates, and she says, I'm so excited to get on this pond and skate, and I know that it will hold me. I am absolutely confident that it will hold me. She gets out there, and she does her spins and twirls, and she gets out on a thin spot, and the ice breaks, and she falls in. The other little girl goes out to her pond, puts on her ice skates. She's not used to skating on a pond. She's used to skating in a rink. She goes out there, and she is just terrified. She's like most of us would be on the ice. Just little steps here and there, little steps here and there. Until finally she gets across, okay, well now I'll go back out into the middle. She goes back out into the middle and begins to skate around some more and more, more and more, and the ice holds her. Two different girls in very similar situations. What this demonstrates to us is the quantity of your faith is not what's important. The first little girl had tons of faith that the ice would hold her. She dropped into the water. What's important is the object of your faith. The second little girl had very little confidence going out of the ice. But her faith was in the ice. The ice would hold her, and it did. It's like you and I are in a similar situation spiritually. It is not the quantity of our faith that matters. It is the object of our faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus. And even more specifically, our faith does not save us. Jesus saves us, and we're united to Him by faith. A lot of times when we get into the spiritual depression, we're we're asking this question, do I have enough? And we, in a way make our own faith the object. Do you see that turn? That we're looking at the faith and thinking, do I have enough? Do I have enough faith to get through the day when our eyes and the object of our faith should be Jesus himself? Do you see that? It's Jesus that saves us. We need to stop looking at our faith and start looking more at Jesus. So, what can you do Look at verse 22 and 23. I'm very, let me say this to you. I'm very hesitant to say, here's what you need to do to get out of spiritual depression. Because I think you know, if you know me, know Pastor Blake, the last thing we want to be is like spiritual help gurus. You know, here's five steps to get out of spiritual depression. Three steps. To make your marriage better. You know, 14 steps to make money, which I don't, I couldn't write that anyways. <laughs> we don't want to be a church like that. We don't want to be pastors like that, because life's a lot more complicated than that. But I will point you to, let's say, something you can do. Look at verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what He pleases, or do, do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. Notice that's singular. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. The first commandment that's listed here by the apostle, and the only way to know God, is to believe, Right? Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. What's the commandment? Believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe that you are his and he is yours. Believe, you know, trust that he never lets his sheep go. You have to believe. You have to bank on Scripture's promise that he's always with you, that he'll never forsake you, that your salvation is dependent upon him and not you. The best thing that we can do when we're in that period and this, I don't know if this sounds like a gimmick, but it's not. Have a, pastors go through this too. Elders go through this too. Deacons, like all of us do. So Sometimes like the best thing we can do is just hang in there and trust that Jesus is Jesus and he's got us and he's not going to let us go. Charles Spurgeon said this, a man well acquainted with suffering. He says that the worldling, someone who doesn't know God, he says, blesses uh, blesses God when God gives him plenty, but the Christian blesses God when he smites him. He believes him to be too wise to err, too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him, he looks up to him in the darkest hour and believes that all is well. And it's a similar, similar sentiment to what Martin Luther said. I do not know where he leads, but well I know my God. We don't know where we're going. We don't know most of the time why we're in the particular spiritual situation that we're in. And for most of us, it's not because we've got these technicolor sins just surrounding us. It's just the mundaneness of life. What Scripture points us to, again and again, is to turn our eyes to Jesus, to believe in Him, and to trust that He has us where He has us for particular reasons that we may not know. So, beginning next week, Pastor Blake and I are starting a series on the family. I would encourage all of you to come. And additionally, we're looking forward to having many of you, hopefully all of you, come to a marriage conference that we're hosting with five or six other churches, I believe, in downtown Tulsa the first weekend in October. So if you want more information, feel free to email me. Most of you, if you're a member or a regular attender, you have received an invitation in the mail. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this time. Thank you for the, for the folks in this congregation who wrote in to the hot topics. It's hard talking about things like Christian liberty or sexuality or suffering or spiritual depression. But it's where we are. It's just absolutely where we are, Father. And we're thankful that You're patient, that there's no topic that we can't take before You and ask. Father, enable us to see ourselves as you see us, as redeemed children, beloved, and enable us to walk out of that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.